Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beja Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. Hi, y'all. This is Kenya, co-founder and creative director of Domino Sound. For our first episode of Domino Presents, we have a special interview with the poppies of Poppy Juice, Oscar, Muhammad, and Adam. Poppy Juice just threw their first COVID-safe pride party in New York City, and we're just so proud of them and so grateful for the work that they do for our community. This interview was originally recorded for a series that we were producing called Unsanctioned, which was going to be an intimate archive, like of the current queer New York City underground nightlife. But that was back then. Um, And, you know, times have changed. And so now this is a part of history. So throughout this interview, you'll hear the voices of hosts and producers, Nikki Brown, Sienna Fiquette, Alexandra De Palma, and me, Kenya. Um, This was executive produced by Domino Sound uh, and recorded on November 7th, 2019. Happy Pride! Never could have made it without you. Never, 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 I feel like now in New York, if you don't know what Poppy is, like, like, he's sleeping. He's like early. Get you a Poppy. So um, I'm Oscar Enye, and I'm uh, the resident DJ and co-founder of Poppy Juice. Poppy Juice is a six-plus-year-old art collective that whose aim is to affirm queer and trans people of color. I'm Adam R., also a resident DJ and co-founder of Poppy Juice. Hey, my name is Mohamed Fayaz. I'm art director of Poppy Juice. This is a TBT, but I met both Mohamed and Adam on Tumblr. And um, we had our independent like friendships on there, and then we met separately as well, just based on our like communication on that platform. So a Poppy Juice experience can exist in a lot of different uh, versions. One of them can be like our nightlife residency at Elsewhere, a venue in Brooklyn, in Bushwick. And um, that space is really cool because it's very large. So you walk in and it's one of three rooms where we have programming. Uh, two or three rooms and um, it's very big it's a big room there's a lot of people in it and everyone is really beautiful and inside and out just kind of shining um, there's lots of dancing going on if you look up there's uh, full-on like set decoration going on if you look on stage there's projections if you look a little further you'll see the DJ front and center just like 
almost like deified in the platform as they're playing. And then maybe you turn a corner, you run into your girls, you're like, oh, hey. And then you run into someone you haven't seen in a while and you didn't really want to see and you're still like, oh, hey. <laughs> yeah. And then you keep it going and then there's a whole other room where the vibe is completely different. Um, maybe it's a little darker, a little sweatier, but it's still a good time. Um, maybe you end up upstairs and it's just like a bit of a maze, which is really fun. That's just one of the aspects of our work, right? We also function as like an independent art collective and that we work out of unconventional spaces where you wouldn't normally expect like sort of like that nightlife feel to them. So we've done different collaborations with uh, a bunch of institutions around New York City and in other places as well, in other cities as well. And that can be anything from a marketplace to a garage in Honolulu, hotel lobby in New Orleans for Halloween or a beachside in Fire Island yeah. on the beach in Fire Island or also in the hall or like in the lobby of a really like fancy museum in the Upper East Side, like, or just a block party in the middle of Soho. This is Adam uh, speaking. Papa Juice means to me um, family and closeness and love and like everything you feel at a backyard barbecue with your with your sister girls with my sister girls fuck like you know um all of that and more yeah definitely that vibe and then i always call papa juice we always call it our baby um you just imagine this thing you birthed six years ago and now it's like six years old running around acting crazy and you're just like wow i'm so tired but so happy <laughs> yeah like i love it so much yeah <laughs> like, damn mama needs a break sometimes yeah. but i love it so much yeah um, maybe we should could hire a babysitter <laughs> yeah yeah definitely but yeah that that analogy gives so much to how it feels um because it's all love and it's all joy and to watch something grow way beyond what you thought it would be or not you couldn't even realize how big it could be is a really beautiful thing yeah for me poppy juice is a dream that became reality i um ever since i was like growing up in the suburbs of washington dc i always felt like i'm i was missing like this queer space this queer family and I would throw these like amazing parties in my parents' basement <laughs> and and I was just like striving to make this sort of like event or space for me and my friends to come together, listen to good music and dance and just enjoy each other's company in a way that felt really positive and healthy. And um, so Bobby, just to me right now, it's like this thing that I've always dreamed of that became true. Poppy Juice was started uh, out of, I think, uh, an experience that Oscar and I have had, and I think that's a pretty common experience among all of us, of a kind of a lack of 
a lack of representation, kind of a lack of like common experiences in the club space, that, club spaces that we were going to, and the nightlife spaces that we were going to, and and art spaces that we were going to, like a lack, just a lack of like common interests uh, expressed in those places. And like Oscar and I were just like, we need to throw or create an event that kind of shares our experiences and shares our concerns and shares our family, like our family, our queer family. I think also it was um, we obviously this isn't like the first type of event that is doing this we're not like uh we're not creating the wheel or what is that saying recreating the but because like events like ours have existed before but we just felt like we wanted to create something that was like personal to us and that felt personal to us right like in the sense that we wanted to create an event that resonated with our shared interest in music in politics in um gatherings in spaces in art and so we were like after a shot of tequila adam and i looked at each other and then we're like let's do this yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. very much so give a little context of new york city nightlife 2013 and the way that i was experiencing it um so I've, i've been going out i'm from new york i've been going out here for a very long time and at least like 17 18 19 and around that time 2013 i was just going to bars in the east village um lower east side like lots of bear bars lots of like uh like east village boy style just like scruffy very gay male and feeling very invisible um even something like a bear bar that's like supposed to be like folks who are of a different body type than what you might find in traditionally gay male spaces um just showing up and feeling very um at odds with what was going on and it's tough when you grow up your whole life waiting to like come out and or for me i should speak for myself like wanting to come out and like finally getting really excited to meet community then you show up and you're like oh okay like i don't exactly fit in here either and so and that was years and my friends and i made it work over lots of like dollar vodkas and lots of like really like terrible nights out but um you make it work but then I, for some context, my first Papi Juice was the second one. And I had ran into Oscar a week before in at a bar in Bedside. And he told me, he's like, hey, I'm throwing this party now. You should come by next weekend. And I went with my best friend from Queens. We both took the train over. And um, I was just like, whoa, like, who are all these people? And like, I grew up here. And so like, I just didn't know that like, young queer folks of color who were just like, so queer, so different, so strange, not um, just like one in the middle. It felt really, really nice. And a lot of those people I met in that second, my first time there, the second party are people I still hang out with today. So Mo, you already kind of were alluding to um, like the early days of the party. So if you could describe what that first, or I guess you said second poppy juice was like, what was the energy like? Where did it happen? Um what what were the, like the origins of what the party looked like? I mean, from the beginning, it was like really important for us to have people feel familiar with the event um, from their first interaction. So as soon as like they walked through the doors, but even before that, with our really bad Photoshop art that we were <laughs> to promote the event, which we were only promoting like on Facebook and Tumblr, actually. Tumblr was like really big help for us to promote to start building community in that way because we would post it and then like our mutual followers would come and stuff and that's how a lot of us first met in person 
IRL for the first time. Yeah, we used I, like Tumblr. I also used Facebook. At the time, I was adding people on Facebook who only I like knew had met IRL, and so I had a really good friend group. Of, and not to say I don't now, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> but there was a there was a great uh, extension for the browser called Invite All, and you'd press one button and invite all your friends. And now it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> but uh, it was really useful in just getting the word out, and also like. Um, I mean, even even though our our first uh, event was really um, really just close people, and some people I had just met for the first time as well. Mm-hmm. But again, people who still come to this day. Yeah. Um, for context, there were about like fifty people there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> and they still here, and, and they still, still here. they still come to they yeah. still come to the party like, to this day. Yeah. yeah, like our core has stayed the same. It's just grown a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. It's, it's too many to name. Yeah, it's too I many mean, by to... now, like the core has grown into a couple of thousand, maybe. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> but it started as just like around fifty people, mm-hmm. and it was just Adam and I DJing for six hours. Mm-hmm. It's like, you ready? You ready? Okay, yeah. let's go. And it was like a free event, and we worked really closely with like the security so that they knew that it was like a queer party, and that it was also going to be like a brown party, like brown and black people were coming through the doors, and like the venue at the time was really excited for our sort of vision, and also. Um, they had like really understanding security staff and they were like really sweet to us from the jump and i think it's this idea that even to this day that whenever we're at a new venue or whenever we're talking to security they like see us as their family you know and like security at every venue that we work out is always just like wow that was like amazing i felt like i was just like at my cousin's baby shower or something you know (laughs) yeah and for me it was actually like i had only dj'd a party once before that and so Papi juice was this whole time i've just like been learning how to dj live pretty much because i've like never really had the equipment also at home like you know like now a lot of djs work with a lot of clubs it's just cdjs and like i've never owned a pair of cdjs i've never really had access to it so every time i get a chance to go get on them was like my first time sort of like interacting with the equipment um but it was literally my second time the first party was my second time djing live were you really nervous or were you like i'm just gonna wing this shit no i was fucking ready i was just like (laughs) i was just like itching to get on decks you know because i like my whole life like i've just i've loved music for the longest time and like i said like i've always loved the party so (laughs) i was so ready to just jump on um this is Adam. I started DJing when I was 20, 20, probably in my dorm, just messing around with music. And then a friend's mind, a friend's mind were having house parties. So we're like, I, w- I went to college in New York City for context. And uh, friends of mine were having parties at their houses, their various apartments. And I'm like, can I bring my laptop and just pull up? And they're like, yeah, of course, come through. And then like, I, I, at first I put myself in there and then I was asked to come back a couple of times. And then it just grew out from there like going to other friends colleges upstate and having house parties at my mom's house when she was out of town and that kind of thing um and my mom being like why is the house so messy i'm like i don't know (laughs) um (laughs) 
I think you started talking a little bit about, you know, your relationship with your first venue. Um, are there any other artists, venues, or partners that um, helped kind of at the very beginning or have been with you guys throughout the journey? I know it's, you know, not easy to even start a party, let alone keep something with sustained growth this long. So are there any people that were really instrumental to you guys being able to keep up that growth? Yeah, I think, you know, we have a actually pretty good relationship with every venue that we work with that first venue we were there for two years and then we moved to we like hopped around that was like a really trying time for us because we were trying to find a, a new home because we had like severely outgrown that venue because it was a 70 people capacity oh, no. venue what was the first venue it was called one last shag oh, oh yeah where was in, in bedside yeah does it no longer exist it, it doesn't that's a shame. I really liked that venue. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. It was it was really nice. But um, one of the biggest draws of that venue was that it had like this really beautiful backyard. And then over the years in Bed-Stuy, a huge condo building went up right behind it. So the backyard had to close. And so as soon as the backyard had to close, we had to move out because 70 people was the amount of people we could have in there. Even even though we were packing it to like two fifty, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The bathroom line was long. Yeah, yeah. So y'all are talking about. Um, kind of the beauty and the relationships that form in the venues that you partner with. For me, as as a party goer, I'm always like, let me follow this party. Wherever the party happens, I will go. But can you talk a little bit about the significance of like, we want to build a relationship with certain spaces or we kind of have the mobility to move around and, oh, we're going to do something in Honolulu and we can do this. So just like how how it works being a traveling party versus like building up relationships with certain neighborhoods or certain spaces yeah absolutely it's uh it's all very relationship based and i think um even when we're traveling to another city there needs to be some sort of existing relationship there or one we've been fostering online a little bit on instagram or um just over the dms or even just mutually admiring folks from afar and um locally it's like as soon as we outgrow a venue the hunt will starts to begin of like where can we go and there's plenty of venues that can technically have us and then for every venue that can uh, there's like a dozen that won't or are not interested in having us i think for a lot of reasons uh the most obvious i think being that our audience is queer and trans people of color people of color i think like are historically just uh antagonized in new york city a lot by venues and by any sort of authority figure like a security team or something like that We've been told everything you can think of for why we might not be allowed to have something at a venue. Um, some examples being being told that we can't play any hip hop or R&B or any hip hop as soon as like 10 minutes before doors are opening at a certain venue, um, which is just like a just an interesting fact to hear um, in general, let alone right before doors. Um, and I think that night Oscar played an entire hip hop set. Just <laughs> yeah, despite that DJ, I mean that bouncer. We've been told that um, a venue already has a gay party and they don't want to be known as a gay club. Um, yeah, that we're niche. That we that we uh, we kind of sound like a sun like a Sunday tea moment or like a nice Thursday night moment. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, just all that kind of loaded language that's pretty much like, we don't want, like, we don't see this for you or for us. 
we're explicitly excluding white people and that can be really problematic and just almost calling us racist pretty much um and that's just like off the top of our heads and the stuff we have managed to remember and, and like let in um um and for our audience too and our community just making sure that we have a good relationship with the venue so that um if there are if there is an incident at the bar if there is something going on with security um we need to have an open channel of feedback where um if we're doing this in your space we have to be able to talk about it and then every new venue that we're in, whether it is in Honolulu, in New Orleans, in anywhere, we will meet with security, let them know who our crowd is. And we will be like, you have to be, you know, we have like a little training with them. So letting them know that uh, people that may not necessarily match their ID that night. So just to be more understanding about that. Also understanding how Mohammed mentioned that people of color are antagonized a lot by authority figures and especially queer and trans people of color and so just making sure that the way you approach like an escalated situation is actually with the goal of de-escalating first and then responding rather than just responding with like the same tone of like aggression so just like trying to like take a like understanding like every situation in like a different approach rather than just like dealing with it with like full aggression or like full like just like non like flexibility you know yeah something we've learned over the last few years is even some something as simple as someone who's like belligerent drunk like they might just need to sit down for a moment before you grab them by their collar and throw them out the venue like who's that helping at all so thinking about little things like that in terms of de-escalation i think the first night uh well the firstly the first night was pride weekend 2013 which was really special to be given that opportunity like Anyone, I think that's special for anyone. Just towards the end of the night, the energy was great. People enjoying themselves. Dance floors packed. Well, packed with 50 people, but still packed <laughs> in a good way. Towards the end, closer to the end, and we were like, we're going to do this again. This would be great. And then I think the manager who was a friend of ours was there, and he was like, when are you guys coming back? And I'm like, as soon as we can. As soon as. Um, so that was pretty much the moment. And then fourth Saturdays became the night, right? Yeah. Third or fourth? It was the third Saturday of every month and so we were monthly for the first two years and as you know every party at least in the first year every party was like very different you know we'd see like 50 people one night and then the next night would be 70 and then the next night was like 25 <laughs> so <laughs> yeah i mean like december it's snowing outside yeah. yeah yeah i don't think i could have expected it to be where it is right now and I, you know, wake up to this day and I'm like, I'm just like, wow, this is my baby. My full grown ass child, actually. Yeah. She's in college. She's like, <laughs> she's getting her PhD in something right now. <laughs> but um, I mean, it's also for me, at least, like growth is constant and to this day i feel like we're still growing you know it might not be in size anymore but it could be in like independent artists as a collective as friends as uh family members as um also just like different challenges that it comes to being an art collective whether it is creating a website or having merch or like doing new or interesting things taking nightlife out of the context that it is always like 
seems to be placed in. I think, Mohammed, you said something really interesting the other day where you mentioned the power and influence that nightlife has on culture, you know, and it like there's so much influence of nightlife in fashion, in music, in art, in a lot of our everyday culture. So it's just like making sure that we're like always thinking about that and how we can translate our work in different ways. Yeah, I was referring to imagining the first time someone heard like the 17-minute Donna Summer I Feel Love, like on a dance floor somewhere in the city. Back in the 70s and like what just the energy that must have had in that room like i would kill to be there and, and think that like also thinking about fashion like where can you wear half the stuff that comes down the runway like either in a shoot or at the club and that's it like you're not really wearing that anywhere else so thinking about nightlife as like that kind of like that like lightning in a bottle moment and i think that knowing that we've like kind of tapped into that energy with the help of this community has been really cool like my first poppy juice that i did a poster for was the fifth one so October 2013, and my first paid gig as an illustrator, $30. <laughs> I felt so cute. I was 23. Yeah, I was living in Queens where I grew up, and I took a car home from Bed-Stuy. Like, I felt really, really cute. Pretty sure I had to pay over the 30 to even get home, but it, like, was a moment. And so now looking at it, like, six years later, I'm, like, a full-time illustrator, full-time poppy, and it's, like, I, I never could have imagined but then there are also days where y you look back or you talk about it like we're talking about it now and you're like oh six years is a long time to devote something to and in that time we've had careers and that time we've had like relationships friendships that have come and gone and like I mean the trio used to be four of us and it's just three of us now and so I think that like looking at that kind of growth and that kind of like that journey every once in a while it's nice to remember like oh we didn't just show up like this has been a work in progress and still is wow oh Six years ago in 2013, um, after we decided we were going to have a party, we uh, realized that we knew a manager at One Last Shy who, who was a friend of ours and immediately went to him and, and we're like, hey, uh, do you have any dates coming up? And he said, next weekend is Pride and a week from now is Pride. Um, I'll give you guys that night. And of course, we're like, oh, shit, oh, shit. Oh, my God. Um, so go home, try to think. Like, we go home, like, immediately start brainstorming. Just, like, throw out random stuff. I try to, uh, a friend of ours, <laughs> a friend of ours um, was like, maybe you should call it Dominican Baby Shower. Because those are the best parties in, in his experience. And so it definitely did cross our mind to possibly do that. But neither of us is Dominican, so we were like, wait. <laughs> Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not gonna work exactly. Um, and yeah, we were just like, what do we think of like fun times? I mean, Poppy came into the Poppy popped into someone's brain. I was, I think, I think Poppy Hugo came out first and was like, Poppy Hugo, and then it was like, no, 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 Poppy Juice. <laughs> I think it was also alluding to like our backgrounds, right? Like I'm originally from Honduras. And so I knew that I wanted something that felt a little bit like Latin, that like was emotive of like a bit of like Latin culture. But then like Adam is Belizean. So like I knew that 
I also didn't want it to be a Latin party, you know? And people still call us that. And it's like, babes, no, like, I, yeah, a part of it is definitely Latin, but we're like a party for like different cultures. Like for like our DJ lineups have always been a blend of people from different cultures because is it is what makes like the spirit of the party so magical, right? It's just that there's a little bit for everyone. And so that's why we were like, oh, maybe not Hugo. What about just like juice? So like that it's also like that it doesn't feel exclusive. I feel like now in New York, if you don't know what Poppy is, like, like. He's sleeping. He's like, get you a Poppy. (laughs) And it was also this thing where like we wanted to sort of think about this term in a reappropriative way because we were trying to challenge, you know, like, like G-A-Y, like male spaces, like that traditional, like masculinity, like, like approach to like nightlife. And so with us, like, as soon as we came up with the name, we said, Papi's cute. Cause like, I feel like everyone can be a Papi, you know, like, I feel like, like from the feminist of persons to like the butchest of Queens, like everybody can be a Papi. And like, and that's how I, like i saw it like i never saw it as like like a big muscly like hairy latin dude you know like <laughs> that's also a puppy of course but like i think anyone can be a puppy some of like the biggest puppies that i know are like femme identified folks yeah isn't there a, a lesbian on the l word who's a, whose name is puppy yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah like a puppy like that's a puppy too right like, yeah i was just curious to know um because you had mentioned being like a full-time poppy. And then also, I think it's an interesting thing, like when you're doing something in nightlife and you're trying to figure out if it's lucrative and if you can sustain yourself off of just doing that, um, like this duality between like, am I working another job and doing this? Or am I am I in this, in this? And I, I think I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, you left your full-time job and you were like, I'm gonna, this is, this is it, like full-time poppy. And so I'm just curious to hear how that, transition has gone into like this is my full-time source of income this is like this is my work my work is poppy juice um and how that's been and also how that's been working with your friends I feel like that's such an interesting dynamic that people don't talk enough about yeah both Oscar and I quit our full-time jobs last year um I had thank you thank you thank you (laughs) thanks very much yeah um, when I started at Papi, I was working just retail and then moved on to like a corporate social media gig and then was working that for two years. And it was a dream. I've never graduated college. So like having a, a 401k was real cute. Dental was real cute. I, I kind of miss it. Um, but for the most part, it just got to this point where we in 2018 in particular, Papi grew uh, exponentially as we moved venues from Babies Are Right to elsewhere. And our capacity doubled, if not tripled sometimes. And once I realized that like there were days where I was working and I would come home. So working nine to six, I would come home like chill for an hour and then like 8 PM to 12 midnight working on Poppy or my own illustration practice. And like after a while, it's no social life, no dating life, no exercise, like barely cooking, like no life, no time to see my family binge drinking on the weekends to accommodate for how tired I was like just not real life. And I got to a point where I was thinking and looking at like what I said was important to me in my life and what actually was taking up all of my time. And just like being a 20 something in New York City, you know, stress, anxiety, depression, like real cute buzzwords that like you make work somehow. But after a while, it catches up. And I think the extreme unhappiness I was feeling just caught up to me. 
And it became like crunch time, like make a decision. And I got the best advice from my boss at the time who was like, in five years, do you want to be working in marketing, which is what social media is? And, or, or do you want to be like pursuing your passions and hearing it right there? And cause she was like, I can say for sure, I want to be in marketing. And I was just like, I, that right there told me for sure. I was like, okay, no, what I need to do. And then my job gave me full support. I went part-time as a, as we worked on backfilling me. And then traveled for a month, which is always really nice. Had a little eat, pray, love moment. And then... Oh, not eat, pray, love. <laughs> Actually, really, uh, like, a, like a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. I'm Indian and, and Julie Roberts goes to India and it's rough. You know this is on record, right? <laughs> no, I know. No, but it's really sweet. Just that whole moment of like walking away from your life, like, like almost making a really scary bad decision like not not the most smartest thing to do but um at a certain point it just came about like hap- like happiness that's so corny but so real i think for me my transition was that i had been working at an arts nonprofit, and so i was i was working there for six years full-time office job and it was actually very also emotionally intensive because i would be working on social justice issues so i'd be working with a lot of like um communities that didn't necessarily have the most access to resources from either the government or um, like a clear lack of resources for different communities I'd be working with. So like I'd made like educational tools for um, immigrant communities. So like how to navigate the asylum process or for recently incarcerated folks, how to enroll back into college after you've been in prison. And um, so these kinds of like really emotionally intensive like tools and I'd be doing that during the day and then I'd be coming home exhausted from that, like emotionally and physically because sitting down at a desk is actually exhausting. And then then I'd be coming home and then working for like three hours on like our lineups or what is like the recent call out that we're getting or maybe like what is like the recent press piece that we have to be a part of or stuff like that or different things, whatever it was, there was always a task at hand. And then the sacrifices that I made, you know, are I lost, I feel like a relationship. I lost a friend. I've lost time with my family, you know, but it's all been worth it to get to this point where I'm so grateful to be a full-time poppy and to just do my thing like full-time. <laughs> Yeah, the idea of like now that we have the capacity to do any any weird idea that we have, like at least it gets to the table now. And I think before it would just kind of be like a fun, cool idea that maybe do one day. And now it's like, oh, like, you know, November's open. Like, do we want to do this? Like, and then being able to workshop it now at that point. So as a brand and a business, what were the biggest challenges that you guys had to come together to overcome? Working with your friends is extremely difficult. Um, it's like a lovely idea. And then as things as your project starts to grow under under you, you start to realize like, oh, wow, like this is going, this is hard. Like this is hard work. And I think um, every once in a while, we just have a, like a very intentional conversation on our commitment to each other. Um, some rules that are really nice are things like uh, presuming positive intent. Um, if there's like a disagreement, just kind of thinking that like, like where is this other person coming from? Making sure that you're coming across in a very clear way about like why you feel that a certain thing should be a certain way. And then ultimately realizing that like 
ultimately we're just trying to make this version or this event like the most like the best version of it that it can be um and we have different ideas about that and that's the beauty of it and that's where like really nice ideas happen um and being able to shuffle things around the calendar and around the around the board being like okay like i'm down to take this off for now but maybe let's i would like us to consider it later just being very considerate towards each other compassionate um lots of empathy trying to see where someone else might be coming from that's like something we've learned had to learn the hard way in the last few years I think even identifying as a brand or a business has been really challenging for me because I feel that, you know, the work that we do is like very grassroots. It's us sitting around this dinner table that we're on right now with like or like takeout tacos and like our laptops, you know. So that's literally like what like the work is behind closed doors. And so being seen as a brand or like a business like to when I think when that started happening I think that was a challenge for me in a way also like we mentioned this we lost a member along the journey you know and that was a huge challenge for us and individually and collectively and I think it's just about the way you know that we have kept taking care of each other and being honest with each other about what our intentions are and our goals are and always finding that common goal that we share that we've never questioned the three of us which is just like our love for our community and our love for creating this space for our community that was really beautiful and um intention setting is like such a key tool in this whole process um because once you know where you're coming from and what the end goal is what the larger goal is the the gaps in between really fill themselves in Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it is like a, a tough question because I never want to see our work become this sort of like commodity or like this sort of like this like thing that you can buy, you know, like because that's never how I intended to do the work that I'm doing. I think I think I mean, it's it's great to have our name out there. I really love that. It's been really awesome to be recognized, I think, for our collective work. It's also great to be part of a legacy of queer nightlife and be a, be a part of a larger New York and like East Coast and just queer nightlife fam in the world like that's 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 a really awesome part like having having our name be shouted out by other people doing similar work who have done work in years past who are who are playing new work for the future like that's a really that's a good part of i guess well-knownness or mainstreamness i read at some point you guys started to shift the way that you talked about the party from being a safe space to an intentional space if you guys could talk a little bit about what sparked that change and what that change means to you and why it was important um yeah absolutely it's Part of it is this idea that as queer folks, like there is no safe space for us. Um, it doesn't exist. And I can neither promise that to anyone else or even to like these two at the table with me. And so um, understanding that that language, which was very popular in 2013 and through Tumblr and stuff, just wasn't accurate to our lived experiences. And that felt even more powerful after the massacre at Pulse, knowing that like we're like we are not safe anywhere. And so intentional is a really nice word because it literally just lays out the the framework of how this space is being created and how it's being performed um, and even what happens afterwards. And when it comes to intentional, it's just an idea of like, here's our mission. Um, this is what we are meaning to do with this space and with this community attending it. And then um, kind of almost extending that invitation to for our audience to also be intentional with how they're moving about the space. 
Can we talk a little bit about some of the projects that you guys have worked on totally outside of the club scenario? So I would love to talk a bit about the Brooklyn Museum exhibit. And the, the basement in Honolulu, was it? Or there was somebody uh, yeah, the garage, garage in Honolulu. Honolulu? Yeah, I can speak to the Brooklyn Museum um, exhibition. It was pretty cool because uh, they were putting together this show of artists who are making work 50, uh, after, after Stonewall. Um, and so as they were collecting all sorts of artists that are working in the community and have been, um, they approached us and were like, we really want to show some of your posters. Um, the idea being that nightlife is such a point of congregation for queer folks and has been for decades. And so this idea that like these posters, not only are they representing poppy juice over the last six years, but also um, each poster represents a night that actually happened, like an actual existing night. And then each poster has this lineup on it that shows you that like in 2014, Princess Nokia was performing at our pride party. And like, which is just like a really beautiful like roadmap of her journey, our journey. Um, and 2014 feels like a lifetime ago, but there it is right there on that poster. And so it was really special to be included in that kind of survey of contemporary queer art yeah so when we decided to go to honolulu was because we have some friends that are from there and they were like we're going to honolulu for new year's and then muhammad and i looked at each other and we were like we're going to honolulu <laughs> for new year's then and so we were like okay so like what do we do out there like we should throw a party like how does that work so we went actually with another collective um whose name is bubble tea and they have a very similar mission to ours where um they are trying to create spaces that celebrate like more um queer asian and the folk that love queer asian folks and so we went together out there and decided to do this event in a uh, multifunctional sort of like art space and so it's really cool it's like a little garage and so those party was happening inside the garage but then it spilled out onto the street so we had like like it was like out of this world honestly like we had like all these people chilling on the street but also like really going hard in the like space dancing and like loving the music which was really really nice yeah it was really cool and then it was very much like a like a run and gun type of moment where we so we went down there for a pool party um, and then on the Wednesday that we were there a few days before Oscar just kind of realized that he had this friend that worked at this space called a Puni space. And then, um, we literally went on a hike and by the time we got back down from the hike, they had figured out like it was happening. So like me and this person named Koji from bubble tea, we like got to work on the poster after like this, not even just any hike is like literally like the hardest hike in Honolulu. Yeah. It's called Coco head. It's like a thousand steps on an abandoned railroad into the sky. And like, I have asthma, like I can't be doing all that. And, but it was it was incredible it was really really like uh, like life-changing for all of us that were there and so we decided to come back down you know came back down the mountain and then decided to do this thing oh my god when i finished this poster literally i just like didn't even look at anyone i just showed them the final proof went to the room and just went to bed yeah. <laughs> like turned the light out like exhausted and then three days later sure enough this event was happening i was talking to, to like a really cute boy in one of the apps out there and i was like hey i'm actually in town throwing this party tonight you should come he's like yeah i was planning on coming with my cousins and I was like, whoa. And they came and they had the best time. It was really, really special. And I think I, one of also one of our favorite parties of the year. Well, no, I think every party is our favorite party. But like one of um, 
One of the parties that kind of stands out that is a little bit different is every summer we do a free event where we have a marketplace of over 25 QTPOC makers and artists. We started this process last year where we put out a call before we would select them personally. But this year we were we got so many requests for vending at the last time that we did it so that this year we put out a call for people to actually like let us know like if they wanted to vend. And so we got over 60 applications and unfortunately could only select like the number that we selected. I forget how many it was. It was like 30, I think. Yeah, I think it was like, yeah, I think it was like 30 vendors that we selected because that's all that could actually fit in the venue. And we took over like this big room and elsewhere and then had a sort of barbecue and party up in the roof. And so that's like a tradition that we now have every year. So doing that feels really like powerful, especially it's the party right after Pride and Pride nowadays can just feel so commercial and like everything is like $30 including our party because at the end of the day we have over 27 artists working that night you know and so that's why like it just has to be like that sort of size and then so this party just hits really hard because it's free it's right after like that big like event where people like can sort of like feel excluded from so this event is free there's food there's vendors like it's not necessarily all about like the party it's also about like interacting with different vendors like supporting like qtpoc artists entrepreneurs makers of all sorts so i feel like that party is like really special also yeah it's little things we don't talk about that much but like even no table fee for the vendors like we just covered the cost of tables chairs that we had to rent um Adam's- Wait, no there was a table fee this year <laughs> oh true oh that's true oh it was our first time yeah yeah it didn't it didn't cover every like we we had to kind of we it, it was like very minimal yeah thanks for that fact check true can't be out here shooting my own horn something that i feel like really sets y'all's party apart is just as you said, this really great sense of community. And I think sometimes it's funny when we think about nightlife or clubbing, it's so about like hookup culture or drinking culture, whatever. And like, those are a part of it, drug culture, whatever. Like those are very much a part of it, but it's like, it's more than that too. Like people meet at the party. Oh my God, you're so cute. You're so cute. Yeah. What's your Instagram? Great. Like let's link. And then a friendship happens or a collaboration happens. So I think I just want to shout y'all out for creating a space for that to happen and for people to connect and be like, Oh, like we're working on this now. We met at poppy juice. So like creating that space, you know what I mean? Um, also I think for, for folks of color, for queer people of color, it's so important to self-archive and historicize these parties and these events as like very much part of history of music history, New York history, nightlife history. Um, so if y'all have any words at all on just like how you self-archive, how you're documenting, how you're making sure this is like very much brought into the canon of like New York nightlife history now and into the future we hired my roommate and of course really good friend to do a video for the pride event and that was like our first time working with a like a videographer that we've uh, decided to work with we also release a mix from a featured artist before every party um and that's i think part of like the archive like that's part of like giving like our fellow artists and like our community this opportunity to sort of like participate in like our platform and in like a deeper way than just like an hour dj set yeah i also so my background is in social media and so or actually when i started that job i started to realize like whoa like there's so much we can do with poppy and so the night of 
I'm actually running around taking videos of every DJ set, which sometimes like on Pride, I was 17 DJs and on a regular night, it's like eight. And so it's funny. I take a picture of the set list and make it in my phone background. So my wallpaper, just so I can see. And then like, I'll be hanging out and I'm like, okay, cool. One thirty, I have to go run to the, I have to go run to zone one and film a little bit of this set. And it's really fun. And then the next day I'll post a little recap, like in case you missed it, here's the night. And so I think that's really helpful for a global audience to see like, oh shoot, like that looks fun. And um, to tag each DJ, let them repost it to kind of like make this all about the talent that's playing. Um, and to just show off what a fun time it actually is. And like, almost like I'm down for FOMO. Like you should have been there if you could have, <laughs> you could have been there, you should have been there. Yeah. And so maybe catch the next one. Um, but the recaps are really playful. I like hashtag, like whatever, like Nikki lyric it is or like whatever, like I, honestly at our, our barbecue, one of my all time favorite Papa Juice moments, Oscar played Kelly Clarkson since you've been gone. And I had my phone on recording and my jaw dropped. And if you want to, whoever's listening wants to see it. If you go on Papa Juice's Instagram, there's a highlight that says barbecue too. It's in there. It's actually, it's like it's almost religious how incredible it is yeah it's a moment and so like that could have just happened and then disappeared and you had to have been there or it can actually be archived and be seen and um i should probably start backing these videos up or something like like you said like this work is happening um we are part of this legacy and like my dream and i think our dream is like after us there will be like the youth are going to pick up something or create their own thing and to know that like for us if we can lay these building blocks like who knows where they can take it so that feels really special Damn. <laughs> Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well-lived in the most radiant way, and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 